0: Secrets! Whoa! <laughs> that wasn't a secret. <laughs> Who are you when no one is looking? What, what, what's the secret? What what secrets are you holding in that you think nobody knows? What are the stuff that you've stuffed deep down inside, but it still seems to be just under the skin. You know, last week we started our series and Greg Rochelle uh, guided us through the beginning talking about uh, secret addictions. And if we're really slow and think about it, there probably are some things that uh, we kind of hold on to. And uh, the, the ripple effects of whatever those are in our lives might be significant or might not be so much, but they, they're, they're still there. And these secrets, what are they? What are, what are we not dealing with? What are we not um, thinking about? And I, you know, I, I really was uh, uh, praying last week when Cindy and I weren't here and he was opening that series that uh, we all would just be thinking and digesting uh, you know, what, what things, again, have, uh, have us captive. And uh, can we identify those things? And can we uh, start to uh, figure out how we can actually be free from those things? Because life would be so much better, so much fuller if we could be free from those things. And so he did a really good job starting us off and thinking about that. And I have to say about all these series, or all these sermons, especially in the secret series, that, that this really gets your thinking going. But the reality is, as you identify some of these things, it, it starts the ball moving, but, but it's just beginning the process. Uh, I was talking with someone this week, and uh, you know, you know, I was saying that you know, wherever we find ourselves deep into the woods, if we're five miles into the woods, it's going to take us five miles to get out of the woods. There's not a magic switch. Maybe we can cover the tra- terrain a little faster but it's still going to have to travel that distance. So with all these things, there's, there's not a magic pill, there's not a magic Bible verse that all of a sudden, if you get this, everything just disappears. You've got to engage the same way you were engaged to get to that place is the same way you've got to be engaged to get out of that place. And, uh, you know, as, as you saw, if you uh, got the pulse this week, uh, this is uh, another PG-13 message and uh, hopefully this is our last one for the uh, fall season into Christmas. Uh, I don't really enjoy giving these, but as we've talked about it, I think I think they're important because of the reality that we live in in our world. Uh, these are real issues, and we need to uh, again uh, look at them, figure them out, and see how they fit into our lives. And as I said, the first. Uh, week when we were in the marriage series, that really a PG rating is really is really a gift to you, especially if you have kids at home still, because it it puts some discussions on the table that maybe you normally just wouldn't have. And I kind of joked that uh, you know uh, some of us grew up in those homes where. Our parents thought they ought to say something about sex and all that kind of stuff. So they say, do you know the birds and the bees? And our parents would say, oh, yeah, I do. Or you'd say, yes, I do. And then say, good, conversation over. And on the way they would go. Uh, but we really can't take that tack today. We don't have the, the luxury of um, doing that. So, so this morning, uh, we're going to deal with um, sexual secrets. And again, this is not an easy subject, but it doesn't matter where you're at. Uh, in your life, if you're if you're just trying to figure out what faith has to say about your life, uh, whether you've been a Christian for a while, uh, this this subject touches our lives. If it may give us some clarity when working with others in our in our family and our lives, uh, there may be some things that that we need to personally think about. And our verse for this series comes out of Proverbs uh, 13, actually 28:13, and Solomon says this. And this is what he says. He says. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. And and what he's saying is he's not saying that all the details of your life you've got to, in a sense, lay out there for the world to see. But what he means is if you don't deal with it, if you don't come face to face with it and interact with God, uh, you're you're not going to prosper. You're not going to do well at living. Uh, when we have these secret sins, whatever they may be, they actually hold us back. They come back into our life and they come up at, at some of the times the worst possible times. And Solomon is saying, don't conceal with them, deal with them. And then when we do, I love the second part of this verse. It says, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And the idea of confession isn't just saying you're sorry. We've talked about this before. we trained our three girls when they would do something to say sorry, and eventually we realized this was a bad idea because they just said sorry to get us off their back. So the minute something would happen, they say, sorry, 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 and we're like, you don't really mean it. You want us just off your back. And this idea of confessing is identifying whatever it is. It's it's agreeing with God with what he says about the subject matter, and the renouncing really takes place when you and I start to make changes in the way we live, the way we interact with whatever that is. So, so my repentance, my renouncing starts to show up as I, don't start, as I stop functioning in that way. And sometimes that, that's a quick process, and sometimes that's a, a long process. But the idea here is that when you and I confess and renounce our secret sins, our sins, we find mercy at the hand of God. God doesn't actually look down on us. He he welcomes us and our brokenness and says, you you have mercy. That's that's why I I sent my son. That's why I gave him for your lives so that you could experience mercy. So when you you conceal it, you're removing yourself from that. When you confess, renounce, and start to make changes, you're on a different path. It doesn't mean you have it totally down, but, but you renounce that talking with someone yesterday, and I said that I really like when there's something that I've confessed and renounced in my life, and it's no longer discipline that stops me going down that road, but I've actually lost my appetite for it. That's a great thing. If you've been a Christ follower for just a little while or a long while, you probably can identify some kind of of behavior that's out of alignment with what God would have for you and you've come to terms with that, and you've confessed it, and you've renounced it, and now you're not drawn to it anymore. That doesn't mean that happens in every area of life, but I think it can happen in a significant amount of life where actually that thing, that idea, that concept, that behavior no longer has a pull on us. Now, if you're a person that's trying to follow Christ and you're trying to walk with Christ, you're trying to deal with these secrets as we're going to say God lays them on your heart, not to put you down, not to make you just feel guilty, but he he lays these on your heart so you can see that there is a better way. And for those of us who have been at this for a while, it gets to a point where we actually pray what David prays. And, And this is a very famous verse that says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the ways or the way of everlasting. And so those of us who have uh, really uh, moved along and sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back, really ought to be at a place where we're saying, God, regularly search my heart. See where my life is out of alignment with you. Help me to understand that. And then, and then as, I, as I see that, but sometimes my anxious thoughts, sometimes I'm still wrestling with what it means to trust you. I don't know about you, but I have to learn that lesson regularly. Sometimes I feel like I can trust God in a big situation, and then all of a sudden I'm in a new situation. It might be six months later or a year later, and I find myself anxious again. So, so I got to search my heart, see where I'm not trusting you, see where there are offensive ways that just don't please you in my life. And then lead me in the way everlasting. And it's interesting, in Jeremiah, that word everlasting can also be translated ancient. And so the idea, lead me in the ways of, the, of how people used to live, in the ancient ways, in your ways, in the timeless ways, and lead me in those ways. Help me to live that way. And, and I'm going to say it again and again is that when we function in that direction, we find that life is better. Doesn't mean life's perfect, doesn't mean it's free from problems, but there's something better about aligning our lives um, with Him. And so we, we, try to, we try to do that. And so, you know, as we as we think about the subject of this morning, sexual sins, one, one of the big areas that we're going to talk about is, is pornography and how that's really gripped our country. But I just, I just want to give you some, some facts. Here are just some of the dangers of this area. Uh, Sexual sins, uh, broken homes. Uh, One of the ripples effects of that is it breaks homes up. Uh, There's an erosion of trust in marriage. There's a loss of intimacy specialness. Uh, There's superficial relationships. Uh, There's sexual disease. Uh, There's violence and rape and incense, where this kind of stuff goes unchecked. It increases. There's a danger of that. Uh, There's an increase in the rate of aborted children. Uh, Your example is suspect as a Christian. And probably most significantly is your relationship with God is hurt. When you and I travel down this road, when this becomes uh, really a pathway for our lives, secret sexual sins, pornography, all that goes around with that, uh, it really does hurt our relationship with God. Uh, there's a hardness, and, and I, can't, I can't predict this, but every once in a while when I meet someone and uh, they've been involved in this kind of thing for a long time, th- there's a hardness on their heart. There's, a, there's, just a, there's just a hardness. So if you want a, an openness and a soft heart towards things of God, th- this will over and over stand in the way. Getting a little more specific when it comes to this idea of this epidemic of pornography, uh, just listen to these uh, stats. Uh, uh, First of all, 33% of visitors to adult websites are women. Uh, It's not a guy-only problem any longer. Uh, Revenue from pornography is larger than all the revenues of ABC, NBC, and CBS combined. It's just a big, huge money maker. Adult bookstores outnumber McDonald's restaurants in the U.S. by a margin of 3 to 1. 90% of all pornography now comes from the Internet. Uh, that's the University of Montreal did that study. Uh, 90% of all 8- to 6-year-olds have viewed porn online. Most boys seek porn out by the age of 10. Again, the University of Montreal. 42% of internet users between 10 and 17 said that they viewed porn on the website in the past 12 months. University of New Hampshire. 66% of those 10 to 17-year-olds who viewed it said that the exposure was unwanted. That's interesting, It just, uh, you you've be aware of that when you have a computer. Uh, another uh, headline said this, uh, was a survey done not by a Christian organization, but this is, this is what we have, I'm just going to read it to you, listen to what's written. Leading sex and relationship experts fear that the use of pornography may be damaging relationships according to a new survey. An overwhelming majority of relationship therapists questioned by a leading women's magazine said that they believe that porn has a negative effect on modern relationships and that they have witnessed an increased number of couples suffering problems in their relationships because of it. The new survey by Cosmopolitan magazine found that 86% of the therapists participating in the survey believed that porn could harm a relationship and 90 percent revealed that they've been seen a growing number of relationship problems caused by the use of porn. Again, this is a significant problem. And the church, Christ followers, we not to just need to st- uh, speak about it, but we need to uh, respond to it uh, before it just continues. Um, there's, a, there's an organization called the New Drug. And I'm just gonna show uh, a little bit of their explanation of what, what they
1: see is going on. Recently, a supercomputer managed to do what no computer had ever done, simulate one whole second of human brain activity. How long did it take the computer to accomplish the task? 40 minutes. That might seem like a long time if, like most of us, one second of brain activity amounts to something like, I want a sandwich. But your brain transmits more messages than all the phone calls across the world sifting through a non-stop flow of input from the eyes, ears, and other senses even if you're just making a sandwich. Consider the brain, 50 billion neurons, a trillion glial cells, four miles of blood vessels, all dedicated to making an enjoyable life possible for you. Need food, shelter, and sleep? Your brain is designed to go after whatever it takes to survive. Your brain is also wired for companionship, with neurochemicals released in response to intimacy even if you're alone, staring at pornographic images on a screen. In that moment, the brain's powerful machinery kicks into gear, bonding us in different ways to images on the screen. Studies show that over time, many can develop a compulsion to pornography, causing them to need more of it, more often, and more hardcore versions just to feel normal, just like with mood-altering drugs. The amazing brain, in other words, can be hijacked. Image after image, your expectations of sex, love, and relationships can evolve, with your own sexual preferences changing dramatically as you continue to seek out more shocking content. No surprise, then, that in comparison, people and activities you used to really care about seem less interesting. The good news is that the same processes that shape the brain in one direction can shape it in another. Hundreds of research studies prove that brain pathways can move in healthier directions. That's true for all of us, and there are lots of ways to help that happen. The only question that remains is what pathways you'll choose for yourself. So choose reality, choose love. You were born with a machine in your head more powerful than the world's fastest computer, your brain. Take care of it. It was made to take care of you. Love that
0: tagline take care of it because it was made to take care of you. And uh, if you go on our Facebook page in the next hour, there's gonna be three um, sources out there. This is one of them. The new drug, and th- this is a this is a uh, a website that uh, is not a faith best based based uh, website. It's a health based website. I, I would think probably some uh, people of faith have kind of put it together, but but they're really trying to go from it. At this is just not healthy behavior for healthy relationships. So I'd encourage you to check that out and, and take a look at it. And then there's another one that uh, gets into a little bit more, and then and there will be one faith-based uh, um, website mentioned on, again on our on our Facebook page that you, that you can take a look at but uh, today today's time together isn't isn't designed to make everyone feel bad, make everyone feel guilty. Uh, it's to say that there's another way that you can take your mind back. you can retrain it. you can restore health, and uh, community and the right kind of love into your relationships. It's not that once you've lost this battle, the battle can't be won. But I love, again, what that the new drug says. that There can be a rewiring of your brain. Uh, This summer, I think we showed a little clip from a, maybe it was longer than that, uh, where it talks about how the mind works and how you start off with like a, a path and then the more you use it, it turns into more of a road and it eventually it turns into a, a super highway, just the way your brain is wired. And, and I'm, again, I'm not an expert at talking about such things, but, but the idea is that, that you can go in one direction, you can go another direction. It takes effort, yes, it takes work, but there's hope. You don't have to be held captive by this. Uh, many of us are familiar with our uh, Romans chapter 12 where it talks about renewing your mind. These kinds of concepts are in there when it comes to renewing those pathways. Well, I'd like to first look at a, a very familiar uh, story uh, for many of us who have been around the Bible for a little while. It's found in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11, verse 1. It's uh, the story about David and Bathsheba. Uh, You can find that on page 214 in that Bible you'll find around you. Verses will also be up on the screen. And uh, if you don't have a printed Bible, we'd love you to take that Bible you find around you as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Or download UVersion, which is an excellent tool. It's free. Any phone will basically take it, any electronic device. So uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israel army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbi, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful." I want to stop here, and we could talk a lot about just what's going on here, but I want to just draw your attention to a couple things. First of all, it was interesting in some of my more reading and reading commentaries and, and getting back to some of the words that can be used. It was interesting. The English Standard Version, instead of saying one evening, so this wasn't like after dark, says it this way. It says, It happened late afternoon when David arose from his couch. And the real idea here is that David was taking his his siesta. It had been hot in that area and was getting up. And so it was still daylight out when he did this because, of course, he was going to see this woman bathing from a higher uh, vantage point. So there needed to be some kind of light. But this was more like late afternoon. And and I, I want to say this, and I, I know I'm going to be misunderstood. Uh, you know, we really don't like... Uh, we really see that David crossed the line. He was supposed to be doing other things and that kind of a thing. But I, but I also want to say he knew what he was doing. But I read a lot of reading, and people might not dare to say this, that maybe Bathsheba knew what she was doing. Maybe Bathsheba knew that somebody would see her. And maybe she knew the king would see her. Now, that takes no responsibility off David's response but what it does, though, do is that in some cases, not all cases, but some cases, it does take two to tango, if you will. And there is this thought, and I, again, I listened to a lot of messages, I did a lot of reading, that, that even though King David had all the power, that Bathsheba might have been a little bit more open to this idea than some of us would realize. And again, that doesn't take any responsibility away, but it just makes us ask, what is our role that we're playing in these kinds of situations? Uh, you know, in this case, may, maybe she had a part in this. Maybe she was a little bit more willing than than I thought. Again, that does not mean that David did anything wrong. It doesn't mean that it was her fault. You go that extreme, but 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 it's a little messy. There's a little tension there in going maybe more was going on than just David exercising his power. Now I'm going to get in big trouble. Um, (laughs) You're going like, oh, what's he going to say now? Uh, Every once in a while on Facebook, I see this picture, and again, there's some truth to it. It's never to take the responsibility away from a man that does something inappropriate, does something violent. It, it, it does, does nothing to take away from any of that stuff. But it's just a piece. It's, it's a part. It's a part of the conversation. And uh, I, I've covered up some of it because I just, I just don't want you to see all of it. But, but, but it, this does make me stop and pause and go, maybe... And again, it does not resolve any responsibility from a man, but it, it, it just maybe. And I don't know if you've seen this uh, picture. These girls are, you know, dressed in their evening wear, and it says, if you don't want people touching your critters, don't make your barn look like a petting zoo. And, uh, you know, we go, ooh, that's, that's, that's pretty harsh. See, I can't even have it up there. And now I'm going to get emails, Dave Spencer. At, but, but I'm going to say, th- there is a piece to that. I don't know where that starts and where that stops, but I think we need to be aware that there is a piece to that. The perpetrator or whatever you want to say is responsible fully. It doesn't doesn't matter how enticing or whatever. It's his still his responsibility. Yet there is there is something there. There is something there and and I you can Figure that out. Those of you are in community groups, you can argue about that and get all upset. But uh, you know, there's, there's, I just, there's something there, and so you know, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I, you know, when uh, my girls were growing up, and uh, they would be, you're gonna say, what a mean dad. You know, they, they'd be dressing, and sometimes the clothes they were wearing to me. Probably wasn't bad at all, but to me it was like, ooh, that's a little bit, you know, sometimes I'd ask them this, I'd say this to them. I'd say, uh, you know, the bait you will use determines the kind of fish you're going to catch. And wh- what I was saying to them was I saying, what kind of guy do you want? If you're dressed a certain way and they're just looking at you and not looking at your heart at all, you're gonna, you may get one of those guys. And if you get one of those guys, you know, you may, you may not be happy with one of those guys. And so, so just 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 putting it out there, uh, just just thinking about it. Well, back to Second Samuel eleven three. We go on and we see David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, "She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite." Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Then he went back. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, "I'm pregnant." And for some of you, you know the rest of the story. Uh, David, secret sin, tries to cover it up. Uh, Uriah, uh, just a man of integrity, wouldn't do the things that he was trying to get it done, so it looked like uh, uh, Bathsheba's baby was his. It goes through all these things. Eventually, David gets so frustrated that David has Uriah killed. This, This is huge stuff. And it's all there. And yet at the same time, we see eventually David comes to a new point in life. So again, what's, what's, what's unbelievable about this story, and next week we're going to look at Psalm 51, which talks about the other side of it and talks about that mercy and, and all of that. But uh, this idea that David could go so low and get so caught up in this. And, uh, you know, so as we take a look at this, you know, we say, well, I'm not a king. That's not, I can't do those kinds of things. But, but there, really is, there really is a progression. And, and this, this progression comes from within ourselves. Um, you know, what is attracted, attractive to us comes from within us. And we have to ask ourselves, what are we thinking about? What are we doing? What, what are we making more attractive? And, and what, are we, what are we dwelling on? In James, uh, we read this temptation comes from his own desires, which entices us and drags us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Again, the responsibility comes to the person, it comes back to you, it comes back to me. It's, it's our desires. How do, we, how do we, in a sense, rewrite that code in our life, in our heart? And as we said earlier, sometimes that can happen easier than others, and sometimes there's things that are just going to hang on uh, for the rest of our lives. Uh, Craig didn't get into this last week, but yes, there can be, there can be uh, deliverance from addictions, but there can be these things, and there are these things that, that just hang on, and we have to be just so careful with them. So for David, it involved this idea of observing and, uh, you, you know, we're all, uh, you know, zipping around the world and having life and seeing what's going on, and, and all of a sudden we observe something, and when it comes to this, uh, this subject, uh, all of a sudden, it's not that first uh, look that gets us into trouble. Uh, we're human. God made us that way. God made uh, women to be attractive to men and and men to be attractive to women, and that's how we're wired so we observe. But it's really what we do after we have that first look. And with David, he admired. He dwelled on it. He kept thinking about it. He, he you know and, and, and that's where he starts to get into trouble. Uh, sometimes we're in cir- circumstances where uh, we think wow you observed that that was bad that you had that temptation you had that thought Th- that's that's just that's how we're wired but it's what we do with that it's what we it's what we dwell do we do we admire do we do we hold that thought in our mind or do we uh, let it go and try to think about something else and you know I'll just just saying this, I, a lot of times for me, when, when I get into these situations, I try to put something else in my mind. I, I try to have scripture verses that I've memorized so that when I, when I have a thought that is out of alignment with God, I bring in that other thought, and I try to think on that rather than the other thing. Because it's not like I want to be going, I'm not thinking about that, I'm not thinking about that, and you think about it, don't you? So I want to I put something else in my mind. Uh, but for David, you know, it was observe, admire, and then he inquired, and uh, he, he started to investigate. And many, many, many times, I, you know, you hear about a situation where someone really went off the rails when it comes to this area, and uh, you don't realize, you think it just happened, but there was this observation, there was this... Admiration, and then there was this inquiring. And uh, you're seeing it in the moment, but you don't realize this process started six months ago. It started a year ago. It started two years ago. And it's starting to, in a sense, uh, build up steam. And then for David, he reaches out. He has someone to do this. He, he, he connects, he contacts. And, uh, you know, we may not be doing what uh, David did, but uh, he connects his heart his engagement to this uh, sometimes for us when it comes again to this pornography we're we're connecting to a screen but but there's this this connection going on and then obviously the, the sin comes and we're in this we're in this uh, we're 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 dealing with it the, the it's it's full blown now and it's grabbed us and it's seized us and again, what's amazing about this, and that sounds positive, but what is, what is unbelievable about this is, is it's because of the internet, because of the accessibility, this, this, is, this is affecting huge segments of our population. This is changing uh, the rhythms of life, the way people look at things. And so, before we let it go too far, at least in our own lives, we really gotta, we've really got to figure out, in a sense, how to, how to shut it down, how to shut it down. And and that leads us to this whole idea of, of the problem. And, uh, you know, we're going to call it lust, we're going to call it whatever, but I, I want to define it this way. Um, lust is unchecked natural attraction that leads to fulfilling one's desire in sexual misconduct with no regard to the consequences." So it's a natural attraction. Uh, again, I, I, I sometimes, when, especially you know, when I'm talking with guys about this, it, it's a natural attraction. God's made you, but it's what, what, you, what you do with this. And I, and I try to, to let the person off the hook that it's a natural attraction, but it's what you do with it. There's that, that second look, that second thought. So, uh, you know, I've met with some guys who say, yeah, I, I just can't get away from it, so and now I just give up. It's just a part of my life. But again, it does something internally. It does something to your relationships. Um, it, it, it creates consequences. And uh, many of us uh, can think about, maybe if we stopped and think about the time we first, in a sense, um, had our minds, our hearts, our soul skewed to this whole subject, uh, I, I can remember the first time, in a sense, I, I was exposed. I was 10 years old, and uh, my, my cousin, we were visiting my cousin, and we got to the house, and all of a sudden, he, he comes downstairs. He goes, hey, Dave, I got to show you something. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, I got to show you something. So we run up to his bedroom, and uh, in his closet, he had one of those uh, little doors that go to the eaves, you know. You open the closet, and, little, and he opened up that little door and pulled out all these magazines. And all of a sudden, I saw images I had never seen before. And, and, I, and I, you know, be, let's be frank, I could pull those images up today, 42 years later, if I, if I, if I thought about it for a little bit. Uh, You're you're, you're exposed, and all of us have different stories. Uh, Most of us have different stories. Most of us don't grow up unscathed by something like that. And for some of us in this room, it was 10 times more intense than that. It was younger than that. It was horrific. But all of a sudden, now you're not this this, uh, pure, little, untouched, little boy, little girl. You've seen some things that, 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 that do connect to your heart and do connect to your soul. And in reality, you, you, know, you find yourself that you're, um, you're, you're injured by that. And again, it can have all kinds of different ripple effects into your life. And that injury just, uh, in a sense, uh, continues on. And then in a sense, uh, there's, this, there's this confusion because I knew something. I knew as a 10-year-old, I knew something was wrong, but I liked it. I, you know, it was, it was it, I, you know, not, wrong. You know, I was intrigued by it. The next time I was down seeing my cousin, I kind of wanted to see the magazines again. But I knew it was wrong. And you're in this, 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 this confused state of mind. Because, again, it's a natural attraction. Yet it sets you into motion if you're not careful with it, if you're not aware of it, into just into a place you just don't want to be. And that injury is just affecting our country, our society over and over and over again. And some of us have been victims of that. Some of us have been willing participants, you know, it, it, it's, it's just there. And so rather than try to sort all that out, and we can't do that on a Sunday morning. But, but what what do you what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Jesus speaks about this whole idea of um, morality and committing adultery, and he says, "You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now that does not mean that it's the same. You thinking that and not doing adultery, that, that's a good thing. <laughs> There is a difference, but there's something internal that happens in your heart, in your soul. And Jesus is not saying this to kind of slap us all on our hands. He's trying to say this to give us a a wake-up call, that you're you're playing with something that that is super intense. You're playing something that, that, in other portions, Paul talks about it not being a sin outside the body, but it's a sin inside the body because it gets into your heart, And and you have to, in a sense, rework the wiring of your soul and your heart if you go too far down this road. And so Jesus is basically uh, staying stay away from all of that. Uh, He talks about Moses talks about this in a sense. But we're going to move on to the next. You've got you've got next. You've got this idea of pondering. You've got this idea of digesting. Uh, we read in Ephesians, they refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God, but with reality themse- itself. They can't think straight anymore, feeling no pain. They let themselves go in sexual obsessions, addicted to every sort of perversion, but that's no life, life for you. You've learned Christ. Christ. And so, for the Christ follower, there's definitely another way. But it's interesting. Again, those articles I read; those were not Christian publications. Uh, the greater world is starting to realize the implications of this. It, it, it's having an effect on families. It's, it's increasing violence. It's increasing all these kinds of things, and, and we need to we need to deal with it. We need to we need to shut it down somehow. And. Um, but for a Christ follower, we need to realize that, that this isn't to be a part of our, of our rhythm of life, because it's no life for us. It, it, it destroys our life. And, and this kind of hidden sin can do this. It, a hidden sin uh, kills good judgment, causing a downward spiral. And we can see in this area when someone gets controlled by this, uh, they just make bad, bad decisions. And I want to say, and this isn't just a young person's problem. I've had acquaintances and friends who, quote-unquote, are pastors that have gotten messed up and mixed up in this when they got into their early 60s. There was no hint of it till then. And all of a sudden, it's just destruction. So it's something not to be scared of, but to be very aware of. And uh, you, you can all think of you, maybe you've had a friend that starts to go down this road and they start to make all kinds of crazy, we hear the stories of marriages that break up and, and they're just blowing everything up, they're just in a downward spiral and you wonder when they're going to hit bottom and they're going to wake up to it and you hope they do and, uh, but they don't and it just gets worse and worse and worse. Um, Also, and we've touched on this a little bit, it eats away at your soul, eroding your relationship with God. That doesn't mean you can lose your relationship with God. We see that Jesus gave his life. He gave it freely. We can't earn our relationship with God. So in a sense, we can't unearn our relationship with God, but it erodes our heart. We're going to read about David and his response when finally all of this came to light. But his relationship with God was totally eroded. And so you can't have it both ways. You can't be actively participating in this kind of stuff and be building a relationship with God. It just just doesn't work. And if you are going through the motions, you're just going through the motions because you've got to have a hardness in your heart to be able to be enjoying God and and then going rampant in this other direction. And eventually, uh, it destroys everything. It destroys everything. And again, we can think of some lives where just everything was destroyed. It's interesting, if you read the story of Job, uh, 40-some chapters, and his friends come, uh, one of the things Job says that, I have not been improper when it comes to my looking. I've not sinned with my eyes. I've not undressed a young woman. And it's interesting that he says that Because the way his life implodes, one might think there must be some super secret sin in your life for what has happened, and they equated it with that. So he answers the question before it's even raised, because our lives just just get uh, destroyed. I like, again, what uh, the new drug project says. Listen to this.
1: In the 13th century, the emperor Frederick II decided to conduct an experiment. He wanted to know what language children would speak on their own if no one ever taught them any. He assigned nurses to 50 babies, telling them to feed and bathe the children in absolute silence. No speaking, no eye contact, no lullabies or cuddles. So, what language did they speak? Frederick never found out. All of them died. To this day, it's well known that human beings suffer when they're deprived of love and touch. Even when they're taken care of in other ways, those deprived of affection grow sickly. Their physical and mental development is stunted, and in some cases, they even die. Consider the heart. Consider the things we do every day for connection and for love. People run into burning buildings and dive into frigid lakes for love. They move their homes, change their names, spend their fortunes, and step in front of bullets all in this passionate pursuit of the human heart, to love and be loved. This longing is so powerful that we will sometimes pursue any way of feeling connected, even when that involves nothing more than pornographic images on a screen. When the images end, of course, there is no one to talk with, no one to share with, and none of the give and take of being with another person. And despite claims that porn will make you a better lover, study after study confirms the opposite. Porn users express less love for their partners and become more critical of appearances and less able to perform sexually. Other studies found users more disrespectful and aggressive within intimacy, and less willing to stick around in a relationship. Bottom line, pornography is a scientifically proven guide to being a bad lover in virtually every imaginable way. In addition to impacting who we love and how we see them, it changes how much we're able to actually express that love. So think twice about giving your heart to something without a pulse. Sure, machines can meet all sorts of physical needs. A furnace can keep you warm, a respirator can keep you breathing. But no machine can ever satisfy your basic need to bond with another human being. Choose love, real love, which is the sweetest of all human experiences. Accept no frauds and no substitutions. The deepest needs of your own fragile heart can only be met in the fragile heart of another person.
0: Now, we're going to say one cl- point of clarification towards the end. We said in our marriage series that your spouse does not complete you, they complement you. So you have to remember, so don't walk away from that last little line saying, My spouse completes me. No. They compliment you. The only person that completes you is God in your life. Well, I'm going to really quickly run through what the freed life looks like. Uh, those of you in community groups can follow up and take a look at these and, and discuss them as you're walking through on your own uh, in your message guide. There's, there's a section there you can walk through that and, and think about these. Um, in Isaiah we read, uh, You made the blind able to see. You will free those who are held captive. You will lead those who live in darkness out of their prison. And what I love about that is none of us in this room have to stay in a prison. This is referring to Christ in your life, in my life. He helps us to be able to see. He gives us freedom when we've been held captive in any area but especially this one. Again, if we walked five miles in, we're going to have to walk five miles out. There's no quick fixes. But the worst thing you can do is just say, wow, it's five miles back to the car. I'm just going to stay here. It's too far to travel. No, start taking those steps. And all of a sudden you'll find, now you're only four miles away from the car. Now you're only three miles away from the car. It takes work, but, but he wants us to live this free life. So part of this is this idea of fleeing, Uh, We need to flee these things. We need to avoid these things. Uh, We need to not put ourselves in places that stimulates all of this, this youthful lust. We need to be very aware of that. And what's amazing is it's different for each person. That doesn't give you a free pass, but you just need to take advantage of that because sometimes we like to say, well, this person is in that environment, and it doesn't seem to bother them. Well, first of all, we don't know whether it does or not, but we say that, so then we get a free pass. So it's, if it's not a big deal for them, it's not a big deal for me. Uh, no, no, we're supposed to free, flee anything that stimulates you, and you know what those things are. But there's sometimes times where we can't flee, and we've got to resist uh, sometimes you're in a situation where it's, it's just impossible. You're, you're walking in the mall and you come by Victoria's Secrets and there it all is. You're like, ah, oh, don't like, you it. know, cover my eye, you know, all this kind of stuff. Or another place, you, you, you're clicking on something on your computer and all of a sudden this image, you've, you've got seconds to get away from it or to sit and look at it. You resist. Paul tells us that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In other words, we're all in the same boat. We experience these things, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. doesn't mean you can sit in front of it for hours, but you've got to resist. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The idea of endure it, resist it. Also, there's this idea of enjoying. You go, what's this? The idea of enjoying Christ, really investing in your relationship with him. I love this out of Psalm. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing joy and be glad all of our days. I want to tell you, if anything other than God in your life has this place, you're going to find yourself in trouble other places. But especially in this issue, does God really satisfy you? Are you engaged in your relationship with him? Just going through the motions. If we're going to be freed, we need to be in this place where we're enjoying him. Also, the idea of being engaged, engaged in his word very familiar verse to some of us. How can a young person or any person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? So we engage in his word. We, we hear from him through that. We engage in it. Also, we we have a determination. We have a we have grit in our life. We have a, a resolve in our life. Uh, we really stand firm. And, and it it takes a lot of energy. And, and that's okay but we have this determination and it helps us live a freed life. You see a message like this doesn't have to be a message of guilt and depression and all this kind of thing. This is a message of freedom. We can be free. You see a natural attraction doesn't have to be an enslaving distraction. It's natural. It happens. But it doesn't have to be an enslaving direction when we live the freed kind of life. You don't have to concede when you've been freed. And that brings us back to our relationship with God. We've sang a lot of songs in the beginning about it. Do we have this relationship with God? Is it a growing relationship? Have we been freed? Have we acknowledged our need for God in our life? Because we we can't do it our own. We can't do it our own. We need him a part of our lives. And when we see that we need him and we place our trust in him and we ask him into our life, we find that we don't have to concede because we have been free. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, this is a a tough subject to talk about. Uh, There are so many angles, so many facets. uh, A few minutes on a Sunday morning doesn't do it justice, but it, it gets it out on the table. And I pray that no matter where any of us are at in this room when it comes to this subject, that we would we would take a look and see where we're at. And whatever next steps need to take place, we would be willing to invest in them. Whether it's uh, placing our trust in you for the first time, we ask that you'd help that person take those first steps. Whether it's one of us that's just been captive by something like this, I pray that you just really help us to see that there is a way out of the woods, It may take energy, it may take work, but it is possible. We don't have to live, we don't have to concede in this area. Lord, and for those of us who have been blessed, and this is behind us to some degree, I pray that you'd help us to be a voice of reason, not a voice of judgmental tones, but a voice of reason that can help take somebody else, in a sense, by the hand and lead them out of the woods day by day. Lord, we we thank you for your love for us, We thank you for the fact that you step into our real messy world. And Lord, we we welcome that because we need it so desperately. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.